Hey everybody, welcome to AM Live. Thanks for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. All right, well, so the uh, topic of today's episode is should I sue the Guardian for libel? That's not the only topic. We'll get to other things. I want to say a couple of words about the proxy war in Ukraine. But um, on the issue at hand, should I sue the Guardian for libel? Well, the reason I'm asking that question, for those who don't know, is about a month ago, or more than a month ago now, the Guardian put out this article called Russia-backed network of conspiracy of, sorry, Russia-backed network of Syria conspiracy theorists identified. And they quickly took out the words Russia-backed from the headline upon realizing, I think, that what they're saying is libelous. But they've left in the headline now, Network of Syria Conspiracy Theorists Identified. And the article begins, a network of more than two dozen conspiracy theorists, frequently backed by a coordinated Russian campaign, sent thousands of disinformation tweets to distort the reality of the Syrian conflict and deter intervention by the international community. And the Guardian goes on to name me as the most prolific spreader of disinformation among this alleged network. As I've talked about before, the Guardian didn't offer any evidence for its claims. It didn't even offer, didn't even try to offer an example of my alleged disinformation, despite calling me the most prolific spreader of it. And that's because it has no evidence. It's basing this claim entirely on a report from a think tank called the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and the Syria campaign, two groups. What they didn't mention is that both these groups are state-funded, especially the first group. The Institute for, for Strategic Dialogue is funded by multiple U.S. government agencies and multiple NATO governments and cutouts, and also billionaire-funded oligarch organizations. And since then, uh, The Guardian admitted to me that they should have contacted me at least before defaming me. Uh, and they allowed me to print a reply, which they censored, but whatever, they still printed something. But I don't think that's good enough. I think they should retract the article entirely because they're saying I'm a, I'm part of a network of conspiracy theorists on Syria who spread disinformation. And they don't even bother to try to substantiate any of those allegations. So the question is, should I sue them for libel? Many people are telling me to do it. I personally think this kind of stuff is a waste of time and it only benefits lawyers. But in this case, it is so ridiculous. And this is The Guardian. I take The Guardian seriously. You know, back when the Young Turks claimed that I was paid by Russia and worked for dictators, you know, people were urging me to sue them. But the problem with that one was, is I don't take them seriously. So it'd be hard to show damages from people who I regard to as a joke who I regard as a joke. But The Guardian is different. The Guardian is a reputable newspaper. It's gone down the tubes, but it still is established and has a lot of readers, has a big audience. So I wonder if uh, there's a case there and I'm going to explore it. And I'm curious if uh, anybody has any thoughts. I mean, the most important thing to say about all this is that it speaks to how desperate establishment mouthpieces are to bury the OPCW's serious scandal. That's why I was attacked by The Guardian and by the state-funded report is because I've been covering this major cover-up at the OPCW where they censored their own investigation after their investigation found no evidence of a chemical attack. And that finding undermined the claims led by the U.S. and its allies against Syria uh, when they bombed Syria in April 2018 after accusing it of committing a chemical attack in Douma. The actual OPCW investigation undermined those allegations. That's why it got censored. And I've been reporting 
on all the damning leaks that have emerged from inside the OPCW. And people who want to protect the official state line, who want to protect the Syria Dirty War narrative, they can't contend with the contents of those leaks, with the content of my reporting. Hence, they have to try to dismiss me as a conspiracy theorist. And by the way, you know what's funny is, I, I didn't even realize this when I first uh, wrote my objection to the Guardian. But you know, like the headline of the of the Guardian article is "Network of Syria Conspiracy Network of Syria Conspiracy Theorists Identified." And again, the article begins a network of more than two dozen conspiracy theorists. What's funny is that word "network" that's not even in the ISD report that the Guardian is parroting. So not only are they being stenographers for this state-funded report with no evidence, they're actually adding their own spin because not even the not even the Institute for Strategic Dialogue is accusing me being a part of a network. So the Guardian actually added that they embellished that themselves. So it's their own creative spin on a piece of state propaganda, which is interesting. And I'll have more on that. I'm writing an article about all this, which I'll put out soon. So uh, yeah, that's um, that's the issue here. Is they cannot deal with the facts of the OPCW scandal. It's increasingly awkward because it's not just me and others uh, on the left and in alternative news sites who are talking about it. It's actually former OPCW officials as well, beyond the whistleblowers. Foremost being Jose Bustani. He is the original chief of the OPCW. And he has been very vocal in saying this cover-up scandal is very troubling and has to be addressed. And these whistleblowers who challenge the cover-up from within, they're so experienced with the OPCW, that their tenure coincides with Bustani because both of these whistleblowers were there when he was the OPCW's founding director. And he's spoken up in their defense as people with very high integrity. That's very awkward when you're trying to bury an OPCW scandal, when you have the organization's first director general and at least four other former senior OPCW officials who have signed on to public statements calling on the OPCW to address this issue. And that's what this is about. Because they cannot actually deal with the facts of this damning scandal, they have to try to bury it and they have to try to dismiss anybody who reports on it as beyond the pale and as a conspiracy theorist. So if taking legal action would help stop that, stop the smearing of people who just want to see a serious story treated responsibly and see a serious scandal being actually addressed, if it would help that, then I think it would be worth doing. And also would I hopefully deter outlets like The Guardian from smearing people because they shouldn't be allowed to get away with this. And in dealing with them for the last month, they've been so disingenuous. They acknowledged to me that they should have contacted me first. But after that, they still, after agreeing to print my reply, they still tried to bar me from even mentioning the OPCW leaks, which is the whole reason I was attacked in the first place. And uh, most of you probably saw this, but I called the reporter who wrote the story. His name is Mark Townsend of The Guardian. And I recorded the phone call and I published it on my uh, podcast pushback. And I challenged Mark Townsend to defend his reporting or his so-called reporting and to explain why he didn't contact me. I challenged him to name a, just a single example of any, of any disinformation I've spread on Syria. And he couldn't, he kept evading. He kept saying he had to go to a meeting, uh, which is really funny because while he's telling me he has to go to a meeting, he's still staying on the phone with me to tell me that for, you know, um, several minutes. And he's also saying that everything's going to be explained in an email to you. It's coming very soon. And the email that I got didn't address any of the substantive issues that I raised. It only raised one issue, which is that they should have given me the right of reply before defaming me. But that's not enough. It's not enough to say we should have contacted you before defaming 
you. It's, uh, you should, uh, it, what they should be doing is saying, if we can't substantiate what we said about you, we should retract it and apologize. So perhaps a libel suit will bring that about. We'll see. The other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, the proxy war in Ukraine. And play for you the statement from Jake Sullivan. He is the National Security Advisor of the United States. He's also the guy who wrote to Hillary Clinton 10 years ago this year, Al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria. The most concise articulation of U.S. policy towards Syria that I know of on record is Jake Sullivan saying Hillary Clinton, quote, Al-Qaeda is on our side in Syria. And the guy who sided with Al-Qaeda in Syria is now somehow the National Security Advisor of the U.S. And he was asked at the Aspen Security Forum by Jeffrey Goldberg, who was the editor-in-chief of the Atlantic magazine and also a Iraq war propagandist. He helped sell the case that Saddam was in, in league with al-Qaeda. Uh, he was asked by Jeffrey Goldberg whether he's worried about you know, criticism at home from Americans saying, well, we're spending all this money on Ukraine. Why aren't we spending it here at home? And I think Jake Sullivan's answer was very illuminating both in terms of the devotion of the Biden administration to this proxy war and also their complete contempt for American public opinion and American needs with all that's going on here at home. So let me play that clip for you. For Ukraine, of which a substantial amount remains. How worried are you about the American people staying power on this issue? Granted, there are no American troops involved, but we do have a short attention span. The war has become grinding in a kind of way. Do you worry about criticism that we're spending billions and millions of dollars support Ukraine and not spending it here. It's my job to worry, so I worry about literally everything. I worry about my answer to this question. Um, so yes, I guess I worry, but in a way that's sort of not saying anything at all. Um, uh, this, I mean, is the, this is the being John Malkovich portion <laughs> of, the, of, our, of our session. But fundamentally, no. And I think it's very important for uh, Putin to understand what exactly he's up against from the point of view of the United States' staying power. Number one, Congress passed a $40 billion package for Ukraine, of which a substantial amount remains. And we are uh, working on a month-by-month -month basis to move weapons at, you know, at a pace, as I said before, that the Ukrainians can actually absorb and get out onto the battlefield with trained personnel to deploy them. That can go on just on the basis of what we have already had allocated to us in resources for a considerable period of time. And then I strongly believe that there will be bipartisan support in the Congress to re-up those resources should it become necessary. Does that mean that there is the same level of intensity in the American public as there was in the early weeks of the war? Is it on TV 24-7? No. But is the reservoir of support in this country as translated into the Congress and the executive branch? deep and sustainable from the point of view of doing whatever it takes for, as the president has said, as long as it takes? Yes. And I actually believe that that is basically true, despite the difficulties that Europe is facing on energy for the major European countries as well. Uh, and you see, actually, in a way, the issue today is not wavering of public support for Ukraine, but still upward pressure on governments there to do more uh, and to supply more weapons and to go further with respect to sanctions. And you just saw the European Union take yet another step with its seven package of sanctions this week alone at the very time that all the headlines are saying somehow there's flagging interest in this issue. So that's Jake Sullivan. And what he says there to me really captures, I think, the mindset of the people running this country in this proxy war, which is that basically it doesn't really matter what the public says. It doesn't matter if uh, people aren't paying attention or care about Ukraine anymore. What matters is that Congress has already appropriated $40 billion. So that money's, that money's good. 
like we're good on that. And that will allow us to fund the, fund the proxy war for a considerable period of time, he says. And uh, he's also confident that if the money runs out, the Congress will just, quote, re-up, you know, like a good drug dealer. We'll just give them more. Public opinion be damned. And uh, I, think, I think that's a great encapsulation of how the administration is running this war. They just don't care about people's material needs. The question of providing health care for people, uh, addressing all the problems in this country, it's not really on their minds. They just want to make sure that they have enough in the bank to fund the proxy war. And they're going to get it. And uh, what that means for the war is ominous because if the goal is to keep this war going for a long time, then it has to be at least discussed. I'm speculating here, but if I were them and I was trying to bog Russia down in the war, wouldn't they be trying to look for ways to open up a new front in the war so that Russia is forced to divert its soldiers and its military to elsewhere to defend itself? And that's what I'm worried about now is whether or not we're going to see a, a provocation from somewhere else to try to bog Russia down in an area that's not inside Ukraine. That's um, that's something I'm concerned with. And I, I'm not admittedly not a military strategist, so maybe that is far fetched. But at least I'm just wondering whether they feel that they can achieve their aim of bogging down Russia in Ukraine alone or whether they're going to try to do it somewhere else. Maybe. And maybe this also flares up in Syria, where both the U.S. and Russia have forces. That's not, I'm not predicting that. It's just something that I'm, uh, you know, that's worth thinking about, at least, I think. Okay, let's take some calls. And Brandon, you are first. Hello, sir. Hi there. So I think your two questions today are very much intertwined in the sense that the public, we just tell them what. We want them to believe, and that's the way it's going to be, and they're going to take it, or they're going to be, quote, the biggest liars in the world, like they called you. And so just the fact that they said there was a network of people, I mean, can you present any evidence that we're somehow interlinked with each other? This would be, these would be great questions for a deposition, but the question about whether to sue them or not, it's always the radical that ends up being the uh the one we look back on and say they were the first and so you would essentially be doing society a great favor by saying i took this lawsuit on at personal expense at all the expenses that would come along with it just to be able to say i said that wasn't okay on behalf of all of us just because you don't like the narrative doesn't mean you can just say what you want and then run to a meeting which was hilarious he had to go to a meeting um and you'll be getting an email. I don't know if you ever got that email, but um, I think you absolutely should. But I think it would also depend on where the court was located and what type of judge was going to preside. I mean, I'm obviously no legal scholar, but I think you should do it. And I think the world is much better off because we have journalists like yourself and Max. And I'll, I'll forever be indebted to Jimmy Dore for seeing his show and being introduced to you. So... <laughs> I just well, thanks, thank you Brian. for everything you're doing. Well, thank, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny about them calling us uh, a network on top of the fact that, again, the Guardian that embellished that, like credit to the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. They didn't even say that. That was the Guardian embellishing it to make it look like more, more, um, more of a conspiracy, which is funny because yeah. they're calling me a conspiracy theorist. 
here they are inventing that I'm a part of a network. But what's funny about it is also that on top of them inventing is that there are other people named in that study and actually in the Guardian article who don't even really like me that much, or at least have been very critical of me, who, who I'm supposedly in this network with. And that's Vanessa Beely and Eva Bartlett. They've they've criticized me before because they see is me coming very late to the issue of Syria, which is true. They were on this for a long time and I wasn't. And they don't like some of the past statements that I've made about Syria. So it's like, I mean, which is fine, but it's just a fun, it's the, it's a, it makes the idea that we're part of a network even more ridiculous because actually the people that are named are people who have actually been critical of me. So the idea that we're in a network is, is all the more ridiculous. Right. And I think that modern journalism could learn something from being late to the story because maybe you're just not willing to speak on things you're not knowledgeable, knowledgeable about yet in a factual way instead of just spreading disinformation, ironically, like you're accused of doing. I mean, maybe they could yeah. stop talking so fast and quit racing to the viewership of who said it first, and that's going to be where the scoop came from. Maybe yeah. the truth would matter. But yeah. Well, look, you know, look, in the case of Syria, I'll actually admit, I, I was, I was, there was a time when I was duped by some of the propaganda. I was. I bought into it. I didn't do enough. I didn't do proper reading. I listened to the wrong people. But then I did, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, the the reality of what we've been the reality is so much different than what we've been told. And uh, that's why I've been so I'm trying to make up for lost time on the serious story because it's such a scandal. So much money spent on destroying a country and so much deceit to fool the public. It's going along and now including the compromise of the OPCW, a really important organization and a major scandal. It's a, when you I mean, the problem with all this name calling and, and all this stuff is it takes away from the story itself and the story itself and what these whistleblowers did to try to protect their investigation and what they faced. It's an amazing story. And, um, that's, that gets lost sometimes, but it's, uh, I'm really happy that I get to report on it because it's such a, it's just so fascinating and it's really, it's just so important. And even in that you highlight another difference between yourself, a journalist and them, a talking head, you can admit you were duped. You can admit you were wrong. They can't do that. Which right. is why wish, a wish for retraction is almost impossible unless a judge orders it. But, I mean, the lawsuit would definitely say we see what you're doing and it's not going to work forever. It can't last. So, Gotcha. All right. Well, Brent, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Okay, Sam. Hey, Aaron. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. First, uh, listen, as somebody who has family in Syria, <laughs> I was late to what, you know, the reality of what was going on in Syria. Because I fell for the same propaganda. This was, you know, all peace and everything. And then it was, oh, it devolved through this. And, I, you know, for me, believe it or not, the first clues I started getting came actually from Vice News back when they were actually doing good journalism. Hmm. And they were speaking to people who were supposedly the free Syrian army in an Israeli hospital. And they asked them, they said, oh, is this the uh, Syrian government that did this to you or, or you know, Al-Qaeda and whatever? And he said, no, 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 government, Al-Qaeda are friends. And so that's an odd thing to say to if you're, quote unquote, the free Syrian army. And then you started seeing like crazier things. And I don't know if you remember, it was this one guy. He literally took a bite of a human heart. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember um, that. He was a I think it was, was a uh, commander. Yeah, he, he was a commander. In, commander. In, yeah. In the free Syrian yeah. army. Yeah. Yeah. And the BBC even like did a uh, brush job on it. They were like, oh, 
was more theatrical. I'm like, you understand he cut open an, another human being and, yeah. and did that, like to, to say, to brush it off so nonchalantly. And then you also had like, I started seeing like, you know, videos popping up where you had quote unquote commanders, the Frisian army saying, oh, well, we work with these Al Qaeda guys. These guys are good guys. And I remember your interview with the U.S. ambassador to Syria and he's saying like, oh, well, that's only because we didn't give them enough weapons. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so by your logic, then, because we didn't arm them more, that they went to Al Qaeda as a result, as opposed to being like just objectively opposed to them. And we just kept seeing things like, you know, and then I, I even back in the day, Kyle was doing great videos of uh, covering who these groups were. You know, the media would prop up the Army of Islam. And yep. then the New York Times did a puff uh, piece, and Kyle was like, "Are you out of your mind? This guy's caught on on like multiple occasions saying Al Qaeda are brothers in arms. Oh, Bin Laden's a hero. Uh, yeah. We should quote remove the minorities." So you start seeing these things, and you're like, "Oh, these are this is completely different from what I was under the impression." Uh, so to your point though about whether or not you could sue them, I, I think UK uh, you, they don't have the same type of like. Free, uh, unlimited free speech no matter what i think they do have some liable laws but what got me when i cracked up it was when you were speaking with him and he asked you why are you doing this and i don't think he meant that in the sense of like i'm curious as to why you're calling me it was like oh come on why are you calling me i'm you know just let me insult you and move on past it it was just more like he was shocked like what somebody's actually challenging me yeah but it, it, the, the thing that got me was he kept trying to brush it off to say i didn't say these things this is what the report said but the, there's a huge difference between what a political commentary show like the Young Turks can say because they're not a news agency. They're political commentaries. You're the guardian. You're the news. You're supposed to check these things. If there's a if there's a report that says I'm the sexiest SOB that's ever walked on the earth. Hey, that's great for my ego. But if CNN tomorrow reports that that's becomes news that becomes like information, which means you've done your research and you're proving that this study is is true. But to just state it and then try to brush it off as well, it wasn't me saying it, it was them. But yeah, you could at least put a, a note in there saying, however, there is no substantial claim this study made that points to anything. You have to do your due diligence. Yeah. So they didn't yeah. do that. I, I just I don't know if suing them is going to amount to anything. I mean, you got this guy on audio like running away from you. And I'm sure he I, I, you know, I don't do Twitter, but I'm sure on Twitter he was trying to defend his actions as like, oh, no, no, I was just busy. And, you know, this guy is a Putin puppet, whatever, because no, listen, he said nothing. No, no, no. He really? said absolutely nothing. No, publicly he said nothing. How can wow. you, how can you defend that headshot? He's he's he stayed quiet. And I think he always will. Yeah, I mean, look, they already had a problem. I think I remember a while back I was telling you that there was a piece. It was by one journalist named Kareem Shaheen, and he was doing a piece about um, how there was this guy who was, you know, some Syrian filmmaker, and he was being under attack, and this guy propped him up right up until he got caught, you know, faking an attack in Turkey on yep. through Skype, and of course they had to do a retraction thing. So, you know, I, I think they're kind of like uh, we can't admit to more retractions. So they're just kind of hoping that you will forget about it. You'll brush under the rug that no one's going to remember. I don't look. I mean, you can go through with it. In the UK, it's probably easier to 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 get the lawsuit. It's just a matter of you know proceeds. I'm sure if you sort of GoFundMe, many people would pay for that for the legal fees just solely to like say enough's enough. The Young Turks can say whatever they want. No one's cared about them for since RussiaGate. But this is the Guardian. You're supposed to have some level of a standard, and if you can't do that, then what are you as a as a journalist? I mean. Yeah. I, I don't know where to go. But anyway, I'm, there's a queue forming. I don't want to take up more time, but 
Dude, that was a funny recording of the guy trying to run away from the entire thing and then to say, I have a meeting. It's like, okay, well, the only, uh, one last thing I just want to say was when he said, you'll get the email at some, at some point or it takes time. I'm like, it's an email. It's not like he's sending you this stuff through Dove, you know, through carrier pigeons. It's yeah. an email. It takes a, no more than a minute. <laughs> did you ever get that email, by the way? Well, I did. I got, yes. So uh, I did get an email the next day from the reader's editor and they only responded substantively on one point, which is they said, we should have contacted you first. We admit that. And what they said was, uh, this was a, a result of a breakdown in of communication yeah. internally, that that's why they didn't contact me. I'd love no. to know exactly what, you know, what they mean by that. Like, did they ever, like, do they have any evidence that anybody ever said we should contact this guy? And then somehow there was a breakdown. Uh, yeah, you'd have a, to prove it. You'd be like, okay, cool. I'm sure there's going to be internal emails that show that one person emailed one person and it was there. And even if you delete it, it's in your trash folder. So, but I mean, look, at the end of the day, everyone is quite literally on your side. I don't think even common sense people would read that and go, this is completely nuts. But, you know, again, if you want to start a GoFundMe page, I have no doubt you'll raise money. Um, if you want to just brush it off, brush it off. I mean, you already schooled this guy. He's going to think it, he's going to at least think twice before he does this again. But, Look, at the end of the day, it's up to you. You know, how much time you want to devote to it, by all means. That's the question, yeah. And I don't think I, – I, I wouldn't do a GoFundMe because I just think I can't take away from more worthy causes. But I um, I do think that uh, – look, I'm definitely going to push for a retraction, whether I sue for libel or not, because what they've done is not enough. And what's funny is even after admitting that they should have contacted me first, they were still trying to defend the fact that they didn't mention that their source is state-funded. They said that the uh, well, you know, it's not necessarily uh, uh, relevant because they have a whole range of funders, and by that they mean they have a whole range of state funders and then oligarch uh, billionaire funders. By the way, same funders as the Guardian, the Bill Gates Foundation, and Open Society, which funded the ISD, the Institute for for Strategic Dialogue, also fund the Guardian, which the Guardian didn't mention, which I thought was a, another funny conflict of interest. And uh, they also objected to me being able to even mention the OPCW leaks in my reply. And initially, when they printed my reply, they censored the part about the OPCW leaks. But in the process, they ended up misquoting, like, misquoting me. So I, you know, when I pointed that out, they very reluctantly finally let me add one just little mention of the OPCW leaks. They're very desperate, obviously, to bury the story. It's pretty uh, revealing. The funding only matters, remember, if, if you're funded by Russia or exactly. even yeah. if you can make a nonsensical claim linking Russia, which like what was it? Um, the award you received, the um, Bellingcat did that hit piece on you and the Anna Kasparian was trying to use it. And it, it, it's the award that they've given several. It's like at the nonprofit group. Yeah. Um, the yeah. Shabini Award. Am I saying that right? The Serena Shim Award. Shim Award. Thank you. I'm sorry. So if if you if they mention that, even though there's no link to Russia or Assad government, then of course funding matters. If it comes from NATO and uh, you know U.S. governments, I don't see a problem in that. Yeah. It's only if it's it's the opposite. But listen, but at the end, I keep saying this: you got support, you got people in your corner. So just try to have that as a small victory. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Anyway, Thanks, care. Okay. Heidi. Hi. Yeah. Heather. I, I don't want to comment on the Ukraine thing. Uh, if I could, I'd like to send you a DM about that because I don't want to like derail the rest of the conversation. But what I want to say is absolutely you should sue them uh, because there is a whole school of thought, a whole population uh, that believes that the ultimate truth is going to be found in court. So 
do it and definitely crowdfund. Maybe don't do, do GoFundMe or whatever. Um, accept donations because there are people that can give more than one good cause if you need to in the future. What I'm saying is like, don't let it go. Keep keep going with it, even if you have to appeal. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Ian. And Ian, if you're there, there is a microphone button in the bottom right that you press to unmute yourself. Okay, I'm here. Sorry yeah. about that. No worries. Hey, how's it going? Good. Yeah, so just kind of wondering, like, like obviously, you know, this – this is a significant thing um, that, you know, has an impact on your professional reputation and, you know, perhaps some kind of downwind effects as, you know, media and government tend to kind of recycle these like articles, you know, in kind of an echo chamber for a long time. But like, do you find it a little bit humorous that, I mean, basically what I'm going to say is based off a lot of inferences, but I think it's true. So it's like somebody is tasked with smearing you or, or anybody that who's like, you know, undermining an official narrative. And on the other hand, they're prohibited from mentioning the actual issue that they're trying to smear you about. Like, I'm I'm presuming this has something to do with, in this case, you know, the United Kingdom's uh, D-notice situation. So they they have to attack you. But they they can't actually talk about the OPCW scandal like they can't like they may even be legally liable to some kind of shady, you know, government thing with the home office or something. So they can't even mention this, but they have to come at you over the issue anyways. Um, I don't know. It almost seems kind of like. I don't know, kind of like they're they're sort of ripe for like a nice trolling because of the just the contradiction, you know, the, the pretzels they have to bend themselves into to try to like, you know, carry out these two objectives at the same time. So, and by denotice, you mean that's in the UK where basically the government tells the media that they can't report on certain things. Yeah. That was a big thing. I think um, kind of surrounding the Skripal poisonings and, a right. few other things. It's been kind of established that the British government can basically put out a, a notice that says you're not allowed to report on this thing. Hmm. So you think possibly the OPCW scandal is uh, implicated in that? Well, maybe well, the, the thing is, looking, I mean, yeah, they 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 do. They have mentioned it. They've only see. It, it's just amazing how this story has been buried. I've never seen anything like it. You have. You have two whistleblowers at the world's top chemical weapons watchdog alleging a cover-up. Okay, so just the allegation, that allegation itself is explosive. Then you have a huge trove of documents backing that up. And you have in The Guardian, The New York Times, The Washington Post, there's no article, nothing, that actually deals with the contents of those leaks and the contents of what the whistleblowers have said. And they've put out public statements that can be read. Um, there's all sorts of emails, internal emails from their time at the organization when they were protesting the cover-up and since they've left. And you have across the board a refusal to report on the story. So the only time it gets mentioned in The Guardian is framing it as some sort of Russian-led campaign, as if these whistleblowers and their documents have anything to do with Russia. 
That's the only time the Guardians mention it. So the Guardian has mentioned it before, but they do it in a way that's just aimed at minimizing it and completely distorting it. So I don't know whether or not they're under a D notice or if they're just so embedded with the national security state that they've, they're just taking their cues. And that's why, you know, they employ people like Luke Harding and these other characters in the Guardian and not the people they used to employ, like Jonathan Steele, a veteran Middle East correspondent, John Pilger, people like that are gone. Now it's all just uh, uh, stenographers. Whether there's an official denotice or not, I think the impact is the same. Yeah, I agree. It, just from my perspective, it it's kind of amusing in this kind of like, uh, I don't know, Orwell or Joseph Heller kind of way that, you know, they're tasked with um, kind of, you know, information warfare over a topic that, they seem to be unwilling to mention. Yeah, you know? exactly yeah. right. Exactly. Which is pretty extraordinary. All right. Ian, thanks for the call. Yeah, thank you. Okay, John, you're up. Hi, Aaron. Hi there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you had this topic today. Um, I know sometimes it's hard to kind of be the story, but um, it, it's really necessary. Uh, I'm, I'm with all the other callers that, you should go ahead and sue. And I, I have a couple of uh, different reasons. Uh, one, uh, supposedly the uh, British libel laws are much more advantageous to the uh, person uh, claiming libel uh, as opposed to U.S. law. Two, um, it needs to be done because um, I think it will bring more attention to the, the, the facts um, not only what you're talking about, but, um, well, for instance, you know, that conversation you had, um, he didn't want to say anything at all. And he said, you'll get an email, you get the email and they only talk about one specific thing. It's basically the legal tip off that they don't want to talk about any of the actual issues because they know that they're going to get beat legally. So, you know, there's that. And then uh, finally, it's um, even just as a matter of self-preservation, um, let's say you let it slide and think that, you know, you've you've knocked down this one uh, guy um, and he won't do it again. But what also happens is that the, the Guardian as a whole or other newspapers of that ilk will feel uh, empowered uh, to keep you know, doing this type of thing and, um, you know, simply being stenographers, you know, and, and the whole, I mean, the whole thing, the, the, the whole story that you and Max have, have done with, you know, the, um, you know, the, the people against you that want to like take you out of commission, want to destroy all your funding and, you know, source of income. I mean, I just think it's really important for you to, to go ahead and do this. And, um, Maybe even bring others aboard if you can. So that's my comment. All right, John. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Okay, Dan. Hey, Aaron. How you doing? Uh, Hi there. I just, I just want to bring up. Uh, there's a, a possible secondary benefit to uh, you bring a suit, and uh, I'm sure that you're somewhat familiar with this being a kind of been involved in like the gray suit, uh, the gray zone lawsuits in the past, but. Um, you know, there's uh, they're like British discovery laws about the sorts of things that they would have to provide to you if you actually brought a case against them, right? 
So I'd have to guess that um, Paul Mason is not like the only like tinfoil paranoic that works for the Guardian, right? That I'm, I'm thinking they're probably going to be a lot of other internal communications uh, about you guys specifically and them um, like targeting you and like where these stories are coming from in the first place. I think uh, I'm willing to bet that there's probably uh, a lot of emails and internal memos and stuff like that that, that talk about you guys specifically, which, uh, while I'm not like a Bible law scholar in, uh, in England, I uh, imagine that those things would have to be uh, provided to you guys if you sue. Um, and, you know, just the, uh, we understand that probably things have progressed a little bit beyond the, uh, the old, like, Noam Chomsky propaganda model where um, these people just actually believe the things that they're doing. I think now, I mean, like, yeah, Soledad O'Brien saying that she's actually told which stories to, uh, to print and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a, another secondary reason why you, want, you might want to consider doing that. All right. All right. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Okay. Anthony. Yo, what's up? You absolutely should do the Guardian. I mean, why the hell not? What, which country? Uh, America or, or uh, UK? Uh, they're in the UK. So, yeah, it'd be in the UK. Well, you got it. Someone's got to, you know, just we got to start putting ourselves out there on the in the uh, most in involved way we can, you know. Um, and for some of us, that might be what you're doing, which is pretty high profile. And for some of us, it just might be a letter to the editor protesting. Hell, I got thrown out of a rally held by the, the whole squad today because I said, stop funding the Ukraine war. Say no to NATO. They threw me out. But we got to really – Oh, wow. Where, we got to press um, for this nonsense. So, there was, so you were at a rally today with the squad? Yeah, all four of them. Yeah, all four of them. And they, wow. uh, I said, stop voting for the Ukraine war. They kicked me out. But – it's uh yeah we got to just get out there more and the with the mainstream media and the politicians and put our bodies on the you know on the involvement scale <laughs> thank you you know um that the squad recently voted also after voting uh to fund the the proxy worth 40 billion dollars and voting for another measure the lend lease act which speeds up the transfer of U.S. military hardware to Ukraine. The squad most recently voted unanimously to expand NATO to include Finland and Sweden. And in that measure, what is so funny is on top of expanding NATO, which again, they voted for unanimously, um, the, uh, there's, a, there's a line in there that says this, the Congress, quote, urges all members of NATO to meet the 2% defense spending pledge as agreed upon during the 2014 Wales summit. So what that means is the Congress and the squad and every other member of Congress is saying that, that, that voted for this is urging other NATO members to spend at least 2% of their GDP on the military industrial complex. That's what that provision means. So on top of voting to fund the Ukraine proxy war, on top of all the other votes, now the vote to expand NATO, the squad is getting on record and saying that we want all NATO states to spend at least 2% of their GDP on the military industrial complex. That is a squad position officially, which is just incredible that these are the best we have in Congress and all of them. N not one person can vote no against a measure 
that is basically trying to pressure other countries to spend more money on the military. And the person who I think has really moved this issue along, has moved the ball to make this very public, it, who's, who's made this a very, very big issue for him, is this guy right here. I'm going to play I'm going to play the clip. Hold on. To meet the minimum 2% of GDP requirement. We expect a growing number of nations to meet the minimum 2% of GDP requirement. To address today's challenges, all members of the alliance must fulfill their obligations. They have no choice. They must fulfill their obligations. We expect a growing number. So that was Donald Trump back when he was president saying that all members of NATO have to spend at least 2% of their GDP. And because before that, some of them weren't. And he really tried to bully people, uh, uh, countries into going along. And this is the squad now joining forces with Donald Trump to make that happen. So another achievement of our progressive lawmakers. And, uh, you know, you protesting them today, as I think, is, is I think exactly what they need to see more of from people who don't share the same priorities of funding a proxy war in the military industrial complex. So thanks, Anthony, for for taking a stand. Rock on and uh, F the Guardian. All right. Bye. All right. Mark. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I I would say, um, yeah, if you take this on, um, don't burn yourself out with it. Um, I would, you know, I'd encourage you to, to um, look for funding and um, let the universe decide, you know, not, not make a decision in the positive or the negative. If you get enough support, uh, do it. Um, and, yeah, m- maybe give yourself like a, a, a stipend for, for a few fries or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, so that you survive and you don't, uh, um, it doesn't cost you too much. Um, and... Yeah, let let the universe decide. Um, put it out there. I'm sure that there are, are lots of people with with interest. You know, you know Syrian refugees, um, uh, people who are concerned about uh, other similar issues in the world, and and would like to see this out there. If enough of that energy is there, I, I would encourage you to yeah, just let the universe decide. That, that's my advice. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Mark, for the call. Uh, Roger. Hi, Aaron. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I thought I'd actually read for you for the from the amendment to um, the libel laws in Britain, the Defamation Act 2013, Chapter 26. It's rather beautiful, actually. Would you like that? Uh, if it's quick, yeah, sure. Be it enacted by the Queen's Most Excellent Majesty, by and with the advice and consent of the Lords Spiritual and Temporal and Commons in this present Parliament assembled, and by the authority of the same as follows. Serious harm. A statement is not defamatory unless its publication has caused, or is likely to cause, serious harm to the reputation of the claimant. So my point is... Um, yes, we did have beautiful libel laws, but you're going to have to uh, prove serious harm. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, that's good to know. That is some sound advice. Um, yes, I would suggest you get somebody better than me in the UK <laughs> to advise you on this. Yes. But, uh, yeah. 
it's it's in the act if anybody want i can post it on the channel so yeah roger thanks for that i appreciate it thank you okay john and john if you're there there's a microphone button in the bottom right that you press to unmute yourself nope okay alberto nope we lost him too okay jeff you are up hey aaron how are you tonight hi there um so I have two theories about if you if if you actually do sue them for liable. Well, personally, I'd love you to do it and expose these people, but either they're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at you, and they'll they would even uh, and I I wouldn't put it past them to do something similar to what Canada did, and like somehow freeze your accounts or whatever. So you probably have to get an attorney to work pro bono. Because to go up against a garden who probably has an army of lawyers would be incredibly expensive. So, or the other one would be, is that in, because I remember you went in front of the UN and they pretty much shut you down and then outright got up and lied about uh, Syria. So that could also happen in the court of law. If you, I guess, would you bring this suit in the United States or would it be under US law or would it be under... British law. I think I would do it in the UK because that's where the Guardian is based. Right. Okay. So I don't know what their laws are, but or, but e- either they would, like I said, throw the kitchen sink at you and every dirty trick possible, um, or they wouldn't want. They would try to settle with you because if you brought it before a court of law and you were able to present evidence of the. Um, the Syrian cover-up, um, and then the, law, the lies that the ruling, the governing bodies committed, and the doctoring of the of the reports into a court of law, that would open up a whole can of worms that the, the people in power simply wouldn't want. So they, I would think they would try to like if you brought the lawsuit in a, whatever stage it got to, they would try to settle with you, and then of course you 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 couldn't settle with them. Right, 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 right. So right. does that make sense? It does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's all interesting stuff to think about. Many people tonight have raised a lot of uh, important issues. And yes, you know, look, I, I'm not treating this call as legal advice. Obviously, I will go to a right. Yeah, to, to say, but I, I was just, you know, I've just been curious to hear what people think, and it's really interesting to get everyone's perspective. And uh, so, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for the call. You're, you're welcome. Take care. Okay, Fred. Hi, Aaron. Hi there. Hi. Um, um, so I'm going to divert a little bit from what you guys are talking about. This week, I heard, like I saw on the news, Germany's interior minister warns of unrest over fuel prices. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw that news, but I kind of felt like they were trying to use the same tactics they used during like the lockdown because they are trying to um, relate the unrest of like extreme fuel prices in Germany with the far right. So I was like, are they trying to use the same tactics when people <laughs> try to go on the street? Yeah. And what do you think about that? I I didn't follow that, but just kind of uh, intuitively that what you're saying makes total sense that basically with all these dysfunctional policies going on, the lockdowns, now the high prices as a result of the proxy war, then authorities are going to be increasingly desperate to shut down dissent. And so blaming everything on the far right, 
like, you know, I don't, I wasn't there in Ottawa at the trucker protests, but it strikes me that not everybody there was a white supremacist, but yeah, and there was one person there apparently with, with a Nazi flag and that was enough to dismiss the entire thing is far right and Nazi. Yeah. And I just, yeah. that's not just from watching the footage of the people who were there does not strike me as an accurate representation of who was actually there. You know, I know there yeah, was, it's... I know there was maybe there was some uh, right wing elites who were funding part of it. And I think that part has been shown to be true, but in terms of the people who actually went out, it wasn't, it, you know, it was, it seemed to me that it was actually diverse and diverse, uh, yeah. 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 So how, how, how would you be able to go out like the unrest, like citizens go out and try to distinguish themselves from far right or any dismissal stuff that will come from the state? Cause I've been thinking about, I'm like waiting for the time when people will stand up and be like, we have to fight for ourselves. Like life is getting tougher and tougher, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks for thanks for your take, though. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens because, look, we haven't even bared the brunt yet of the deprivation that will result from this war. When winter hits and Europe has to ration gas, which is what it's headed towards now, it's going to be a lot worse than now. You know, no. so and I think that's what they are doing because they figure their unrest is going to come when we get closer to winter. So when yeah. I saw the news, I was like, these guys are ahead of their time, like planning everything <laughs> exactly. strategically. Exactly. Yeah. I, th- okay. I think that's totally plausible. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thank you, thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Okay. Alberto. Hello. Hi there. Hey, at last. I have a couple of things accumulated for, from speaking here because uh, I, I live in, in South America. And uh, it's a bit of of topics, but uh, you don't need to to answer this right now. But just uh, I want to share a a couple of things. First is the the list of embargoed countries that cannot purchase weapons uh, openly. And there there are some countries with embargoes from the UN, others from uh, NATO, uh, different lists of countries that cannot purchase weapons. And since the beginning of the Ukraine war, they speak about these countries might be getting these weapons uh, through Ukraine and the industrial complex, the U.S. industrial complex, might be willing and happily selling weapons uh, through Ukraine. It's something that Everybody can smell, and there's not much said to my taste. And uh, maybe you have fellow journalists living in those countries that could have some more noise about this. And if if one single thing is is uh, demonstrated with evidence, it will have a huge impact. Uh, and, and seeing like uh, Tony Stark when he was kidnapped and saw his weapons with the, in their own hands, it's, it's a huge impact that has to be more. Yes, yes, yes. More work. Yeah. Well, there was a recent article in the Financial Times where some Western official said that as soon as the weapons cross over into Ukraine from Poland, we have no idea where they go, and even if they stay inside Ukraine. They have no idea. You know, they have no idea. They can't trace any of it. And of and, course, and, and, and they fired this Ministry of Security. 
Yeah. So it's a lot of knowledge, but not enough. <laughs> I just saying. Okay. And a second thing is that the, uh, we here in South America, I, I happen to live in Ecuador. I lived in Bolivia, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, and I lived also in Africa, in Ivory Coast, and in Thailand. I can say that wheat is not the base of our, our meals. We will nobody have will have a, a hunger because of wheat. Uh, we eat a lot of things. We 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 don't have a bread. I I don't have a bread every day. And in Thailand, I don't recall myself chewing a bread. In Africa, they, they have this acheque, uh, like potatoes, things. And only the Mediterranean, uh, Arabic cultures, they, they, they have wheat in a daily basis. Possibly Egypt and some, the, the, the surroundings of the Saudi Arabia uh, peninsula. Yes, they do. Yeah. And Italy. And Argentina, the, those countries can have a wheat as, as a base for their meals. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the world hunger will, will not happen because of wheat. And, uh, okay, uh, and about this uh, Colonel Richard Black, I don't see too much interactions. And, and he's a guy, he's Republican, he's right wing. And he can never be thought as a Russian asset, and and he's saying good things. And uh, okay, yeah, I've I've heard his name, and people have told me to look into him. I I haven't yet, but I know he's someone who's spoken about Syria and a lot, <laughs> a lot about Syria. Yeah, but I haven't looked into him, so I I can't speak to him beyond that. Alberto, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, okay, John. Um, hello, Aaron. Hi there. Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try not to hang up again. Um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to put in my vote, uh, like almost everybody else, uh, that you should go ahead and sue. Um, you know, it's, uh, The Guardian is a, is a serious uh, news outlet, and this was a, a straight news story. That was the way it was presented, you know. And uh, it's not the Young Turks. It's not... Uh, you know, uh, it's not opinion. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to put in my vote for that. Got it. Um, and my understanding, now, I may be wrong about this, but my understanding is that if you, in the event that you prevailed and you won in court, um, in, in, in the British system, you may be able to actually claim, um, as part of the damages, the expense of your court expenses. You know, hmm. I'm not sure if that's actually true, but you know, <laughs> well, you might want to look it up. I look into that. I look into John, um, thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right, Amanda. Hi. Hi there. I just have you asked the your network of two dozen folks that are the conspiracy theorists that you're in a network with whether you should sue because <laughs> I mean really maybe they could be helping you out financially. Or that's something. true, and and really the network doesn't make decisions. Without everyone in the network weighing in, so I, you're right. That's a great point. I should call my network. Yeah. I, 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 being the point of the spear is not a fun place to be. It, it's an opportunity, like the first caller said, really to make, to make a point about, you know, misinformation, disinformation, and all the media stuff that's going on. 
but it, it is not an easy, I mean, you know, you know, you have interviewed some of the journalists who have undergone some yeah. of the fun stuff that happens when yep. you go up against establishment. I, yeah. for one, if I had the money or the or the brain power to be of of some help, I mean, in spirit, I'm fully with you. I appreciate the work that you do, and I think it's BS that they did that to you. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Have a good day. You too. Okay, Jack. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Hi there. Hi. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think the libel case is a really interesting idea. Um. You know, I, 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 do, I just jumped on the call, been in the meeting, so apologies, as I've already been said, but it could be a great opportunity to, you know, really, like, focus on the facts of the story at hand um, and get more public attention on it. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, it might help bring public attention to the OPCW story, but... Uh... That's not the reason to do it. I mean, the reason to do it is if they've caused damage and to prevent them from doing it again. But yeah, no, I, I do think it would help bring some attention to the story. And that would be a good thing because that story deserves attention. Do you agree with the, you know, the libel laws kind of, you know, in general? Like, I understand they're kind of there and you're using them, I think, for a good cause in this case. Do you find that like an interesting kind of like moral conflict for yourself? Like, do you think there's, do you think libel law should exist? Do you think we should just have a completely, you know, free speech environment, at least in the legal sense? That's a great question. You know, I thought about this after the Young Turks thing, when they said I was paid by Russia. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they do have the right to say that. And maybe it's as good that we let people say whatever they want. And even if it's, big outlets like the guardian too. Maybe, you know, maybe that is just a, a higher right. We should accept that people have the right to lie about people and defend them. Uh, so I think yeah. it's a tough question. Yeah. I still think you should do it. Like, I mean, you can, you cannot support the libel laws, you know, you may, may, maybe hope for a better, a better future. But I think in this case, I think, um, I do think the, you know, the positives kind of out, outweigh the negatives in this instance, but, it is. A, I think that that little moral conundrum is something you have to grapple with. Hey, uh, best of luck. Um, and yeah, let us know what you decide. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, Jack. Okay. Square. Right, see ya. Hey, can you hear me? Hello. Hi. Yes, Hello? we can. Go ahead. Hi. Great. Okay. Hi. How are you? Um, I'll try to be fast. So I don't know if this is like that much of a like different interpretation of it, but um, just from when I was listening to the conversation that you had with the Guardian journalist, um, it was making me think like, I used to work in this organization doing like client services. And one time um, these clients like basically were trying to take legal action against someone who worked for the organization. And they basically did like a huge like gag order on everybody who worked there. Like you can't talk to these people whatsoever um because like they might use anything that you say in you know whatever kind of way um and obviously it's not like a totally similar situation but i'm just my take on the conversation was that like he had been told very explicitly that like he wasn't allowed to say anything to you but that also like his ego wouldn't let him like not have the last word um so that was just i don't know if that interpretation is helpful as insight or anything um and then my other thing i wanted to say was like um and i think i saw people mentioning this in the chat too that like i don't know what it 
is like in England, but like maybe bringing in a class action lawsuit could be interesting. Uh, like working with some of the other people that, you know, they say that you're part of a network with, um, like to all bring a case together if they're interested, um, which then got me thinking like that that might also open you collectively up to sort of like more um, potential risk just because like, I imagine that the discovery process would go in each direction. So they would probably start, you know, um, trying to investigate pretty seriously into all of your lives. And that might become very unpleasant for you or a group of you. So those are just things that I had as thoughts. Um, thank you. Well, thanks. For, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. And no, sure. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. And yeah, that's of why I, I'd only, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I'd only want to do it on my own because I wouldn't want to presume to bring in other people that they'd want to. But yeah, I'd be fine with the discovery process because I'm not a part of the network. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, oh yeah, and, no, I just, and, I I, and, and everything I, everything I report about serious based on facts. So it's, uh, you know, I, I would welcome it. And I, I'd happily trade discovery because uh, I'd love to see what emails they have and how they went about doing this, this story. Uh, I think that yeah, would be no. very, very illuminating. But I hear you. I think that maybe um, even like, emails that like it might um show emails between like the guardian and the guardian's funders too depending on how far it went um i just think like you know people in power like to get to like really dirty smear tactics when they feel threatened so that was what i meant in terms of like digging into your personal life but yeah thank you yeah, so much yeah, sure. for your time thank you thanks for calling okay thanks. lyle hey aaron can you hear me yeah hi hey uh thanks for doing everything you do you do a great job um on the subject of bringing a libel case in British courts, I'm just reminded in high school, I wrote a biographical report on Oscar Wilde and he and his mom uh, brought libel cases against newspapers um, or journalists in British courts. And both of them uh, ended up getting judgments against them in the end, and the and the the case went against them, and, and it ruined Oscar Wilde's life. Mm. So mm. that's just a warning. Um, yeah, maybe if there is a way to bring the case in the U.S., that would be a better venue. I don't know, but that, that's my only input is a, a warning. Well, I appreciate that, Lyle. Thank you, and that's good. To, I didn't know that about Oscar Wilde. Yeah, yeah. Look into it. It's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, listen, we're going to wrap it there. Thanks to everybody who called in and shared their thoughts with me. I do not uh, take any of this as legal advice, but I do take this as the advice of friends and supporters, so I really appreciate it. And I will speak to an attorney when I can and um, and get back to uh, you when I have more to see if this is a, a case worth bringing forward. Regardless, I will have more on the story. I'm going to write something about it and uh, – I'm going to press for a retraction from the guardians. So I'll keep everyone posted on how that goes. Otherwise I'll be back here tomorrow morning with Katie Halper. We do the Monday morning after show here on Colin at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So come join us if you can and have a great rest of your day. Bye everybody.